You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Hello and welcome to History for Weirdos. We're your hosts, Andrew and Stephanie. And each week, we're going to take you on a journey into the strange, obscure, and relentlessly entertaining corners of human history. Now listen up, friends, because it's about to get weird. Welcome to episode number 58 of History for Weirdos. We're back. We're back, baby. And this week, it is your turn. Yes, it is my turn to regale us a beautiful story. I can't wait. And But actually, the story is not beautiful. It's actually pretty tragic and covers a dark portion of American history. Yay! <laughs> but it's weird and interesting nonetheless, even though it's truly awful in some regards unfortunately history does take dark awful turns at times so you're saying this this episode gets a bummer warning this is a major bummer warning for all you folks um (laughs) there is like intense racism the the aftermath of slavery Mm -hmm. and the consequences of that so just as a general like trigger warning i guess yeah it sounds really important and really interesting it's insanely important and very interesting and it's to me, it's insane because I never knew about this before. Ooh, and, and Andrew's a big American history nerd. I am. More about Roman history. Sadly, I know much more about <laughs> Roman history than American history. But at the same time, um, I used to, I like, I like to consider myself like a history nerd when it comes to American history. Yeah. And Out of everyone that I know, you know, you and my dad are like the big American history lovers. Right, exactly. Um, Which is a total dad move. A total dad move. Or to just like love watching like World War II documentaries. That's also <laughs> a total dad move. You know what's funny though? I, World War II, like, and everyone don't hate me. <laughs> I just feel like it's kind of played out. Like, I, it doesn't interest me as much as it did when I was younger. It gets, yeah. It gets a ton of coverage right. in documentaries and fiction films, novels. Exactly. Yeah, I totally get it. Yeah. So. Obviously, we like some more random stuff obviously hence the podcast yeah so tell us about this story that you had not heard of yes absolutely so i'm gonna cover the only successful coup d'etat in american history so if you don't know what a coup d'etat is it's essentially an illegal seizure of power or removal of a government and its powers by either a political faction a politician cult rebel group or by the military and it's often referred to just as a coup, right? Yeah, sometimes just, yeah, usually it's shortened to coup. Mm-hmm. Um, generally speaking, it's either by like a paramilitary or a military faction. But it could be a bunch of different other things. Pirates. Pirates. I don't know if there's ever been... Oh, it's mutiny. Mutiny, yeah. Right? When like, well, if, a pir- if like a pirate crew overthrows the captain and puts in a new captain, that's called a mutiny. No, I mean just any any naval crew or any like... Aquatic aquatic yes or it's not a gang i mean just like the crew of a ship like if they overthrew the captain that's a mutiny okay it doesn't have to be pirates involved at all well that's less exciting though yeah 
Also, just like because I feel you brought up pirates, so this is your fault. Oh, but when Julius Caesar was a roughly like 25 years old, he was actually captured by pirates. And he warned them, by the way, like, I'm going to come back and I'm going to kill you all. And they thought he was joking, but he literally did that after they released him. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, um, yeah, anyways, that's your random, like, Roman history fact of the day. Which has nothing to do, I bet, with what you're about to do. Absolutely nothing to do. This is, like, almost 2,000 years later. So, we're going to actually be traveling to, like, we're going to be talking about the 19th century this time in American history. Okay. So... It's to me though. What's crazy is like I mean, going back to the story, like a successful coup d'état in American history. I'd never even heard about this. Like, and again, big history nerd. So it's I, I'm like I just felt like this story needed to be told. Uh, told. And also, I actually want to give a, a special shout out to one of our listeners, Miss Tyler, for giving us this idea. That's her Instagram handle. Yay! Thank you so much. Yes, you're a real homie here. We love the listener suggestions. Yeah, exactly. We really do. It helps us out. (laughs) It does, yeah. Um, So I'm going to give actually a lot of backstory to this because it's very prudent to the story. And I think it kind of captures the full essence and full, like, I mean, importance of it. Okay. Um, Because there's a lot that goes into it. So we're going to travel back to North Carolina in 1860, specifically the city of Wilmington. Mm -hmm. It's the large, and this is just prior to the outbreak of the Civil War, by the way. Mm -hmm. So the city is the largest in North Carolina at the time and was comprised of mostly black folks with a total population of nearly 10,000 people, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting because I feel like that's surprisingly low like population for the biggest city in a state at this time. It's not relevant to the story, but I just thought that was kind of strange. Yeah. Um, most of the folks uh, were freedmen, but there were also slaves in, in, in mm. the city. Um, You had a lot of dock workers, artisans, domestic workers, and various other skilled workers. And so, you know, you kind of had a pretty varied group of people. Mm -hmm. So we're going to fast forward a couple years through the Civil War. Um, I bet that's like never, ever been said. We're just going to fast forward (laughs) through the Civil War. (laughs) You know, hundreds of thousands of deaths, like complete, utter tragedy. Um, Slavery is abolished and the Reconstruction Amendments are passed. If you don't know what the Reconstruction Amendments are... 13th Amendment abolished slavery. The 14th Amendment granted citizenship and other various rights to freedmen. And 15th Amendment was passed to protect voting rights on the basis of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. Okay. Pretty important pieces of legislation. And these were all passed in very in pretty quick succession within like a five-year period of 1865 to 1870. Mm-hmm. To put that in perspective, in our lifetimes, I think the last... Um, the last amendment? amendment to pass was like 30 years ago. Yeah. That's so like, a ton of amendments. Right. So like three amendments in five years and like basically zero in the last 30 years. Yeah. I mean, they were extremely needed right. at the time. The country's so young still too. Exactly. It's not even, we haven't even had our centennial yet. Yeah. So pretty young country, a lot of quick changes, mm-hmm. um, especially if you're going to Look at just the 1860s as a whole. Mm-hmm. You had a civil war and then these three massive like pieces of leg- legislation. Okay. Um, just to put this kind of all in perspective. So if you were like a formerly enslaved man, you were now free, had citizenship, and could even vote. Sorry, ladies. You wouldn't get this right for another like half century. Mm-hmm. Um, but now the reason why I'm saying all this, again... And I just mentioned it, but it's really, really important that I just keep on hammering this in your guys' mind. A lot changed in a very quick amount of time. Mm -hmm. So for proponents of equality, just general human decency, Mm -hmm. this was celebrated, right? 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think we look back and we're like, yes. Uh, obviously, like, obviously moves forward. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But, of course, not everyone was on board with all of this. You know, surprise, surprise, right? Mm-hmm. Um, keep that in the back of your mind and we're going to address this in a moment. So... At this point in time, I'm going to be start mentioning both the Republican and Democratic parties. And I need to make a disclaimer because, like, yes, these are the same parties that still dominate American politics today. But whatever preconceived notions that you have about either party, just, like, throw them out of your mind right now, at least for the remainder of this episode. And guys, like, I'm serious. Take a moment to actually do this. Because it's the, what they are today is not relevant at all to this story. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they are technically the same parties, but like, I mean, the entire platforms are vastly different. Mm-hmm. Um, and because this narrative is looking at each party from a purely historical perspective, and again, should just for the intents on like intents and purposes, should not even be associated with the versions the of the modern today's. day parties. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So. Now that's out of the way, let's continue. In the immediate aftermath of the Civil War, the Republican Party dominated North Carolina politics in both the governor's office and the state legislature, where both white and black folks participating in the political structure. Mm -hmm. Um, Friedman, unsurprisingly, overwhelmingly supported the party as it was the faction that essentially emancipated them and gave them citizenship and suffrage. Mm -hmm. Um, Now remember when I said that not everyone was on board with all of this? Well, here we go. Mm. Southern white Democrats in particular were not thrilled with all the quick changes, especially with not only Republicans, but black folks in state office. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's just like not, they're not stoked about this. Yeah. Um, They had previously controlled state politics before the Civil War, and again, were not thrilled with losing their political power, I imagine. Right. In December of 1865, a group was created that would essentially stand for white supremacy, hate of everyone from black folks to immigrants, Catholics, and people who would support those or aforementioned groups. Yeah. And that group is infamously the Ku Klux Klan or just simply the KKK. Wow. Yeah. So this iteration of the KKK would eventually be put down by the federal government in the 1870s, but... Many different offshoots would emerge, including the so-called Red Shirts, who were essentially just paramilitary forces of Southern Democrats. Hmm. I hadn't yeah. heard of that before. Yeah, I had. Again, I had. I'd never heard about the Red Shirts before. Yeah. But they were essentially like a, a more militant, just continuation of the KKK. Okay. The KKK would come back later in like the 1910s. Yes. But that's a different. It's like they. I think in, in history, it's like they call it like the second wave or something. Okay. So it's not really important for this. And I'm really the Ku Klux Klan isn't really important for the story, only in that like the red shirts came from it. Okay. Um, so also starting in 1870, Democrats started to regain control of North Carolina politics and started to chip away at Republican control just bit by bit. Um, I'm not going to go into like the nuances of it because it was just really mundane. I'm sure. But just know that in the back of your mind, like they're they're just making little changes here or there that will like eventually compound in the decades to come. Segregation, you know, I mean, I will. Some of them are big though. Like what I'm about to say right now. Segregation, for example, mm-hmm. the outlawing of interracial marriage and other anti-black laws were created during this time wow. frame. You know, couple this with the fact that most Southern states, you know, including North Carolina, was impoverished following the uh-huh. disastrous effects of the Civil War. So things are going to get messy, and and of course they did. 
We're going to fast forward now to actually the 1890s. Okay, 20 years in the future. Exactly. A lot of poor white farmers, or farmers, excuse me, had been attracted to the People's Party or the Populist Party. You know, during this decade, this Populist Party formed a coalition with the biracial Republican Party as they had a lot of shared interests and common, with common struggles. Okay. Um, this fusion was aptly named the Fusion Coalition. That makes sense. Right. <laughs> Um, now, speaking of Wilmington in particular, it was still the largest city in the state with a population now of around 25,000 people in 1890 as opposed to 10,000 yeah. like in 1860. Mm-hmm. So quite an increase in population. Also, again, the, re- the majority of the population was still black. But the major difference this time compared to 30 years earlier was that they now had much greater economic and political power. Many senior governmental positions were filled by black folks. Others became, you know, bakers, dyers, grocers, etc., and made up about a third of the city's service positions. And again, these were like, you know, not necessarily super prestigious jobs, but important nonetheless. Of and course. were like middle class, yeah. you could say. Um, you know, as time progressed, though, even black folks started to own and take up leadership in, you know, mechanic shops, carpenter associations, jewelers, watchmakers, painters, masons, blacksmiths, etc. Mm-hmm. Like that kind of skilled labor. Mm-hmm. And some of the most profitable and largest businesses in the city were owned by black folks. I have a feeling there are going to be some white people that don't like that. <laughs> you know, what? that's a really, really good guess. I'm just a good guesser. Yeah. <laughs> You know, especially given the fact that a lot of these people were formerly enslaved, wow. it's it's kind of absolutely remarkable. Yeah, that and puts it into perspective. It really sure. does. Um, however, despite this, on average, a black man was economically far worse than mm-hmm. his white counterpart. Per capita wealth for well for whites, excuse me, was around five hundred fifty dollars. And again, this is eighteen ninety dollars, not today's. Um, like whereas for black for like an equivalent like black person's wealth was only about $30. Oh my god. So far lower. $550 compared to $30. Exactly. So again Damn. like yes like there were advances being made but there were also systemic issues at play here mm-hmm. that were still holding you know black folks down. Yeah. And again it's important that I say this because it kind of paints what I'm about to say in perspective mm-hmm. as well. So and again, I did, one thing I also want to mention, too, is that, like, loans and just availability of capital to spend yeah. was either restricted for black people or just not available at all. Yeah, and that happened for a very long time. Right. I mean, the, yeah, the systemic issues, we still see them today. Yeah. So you can only imagine in this time You're right. how prevalent it must have been. Exactly. Where it was, like, actively trying to screw over, like, black people. Yep. Despite this, there was widespread resentment that the quote, you know, N-word rule, Uh basically, was hurting the white man. And I apologize because it's just, it's despicable, but that's what was the term. And I can't, I'm not going to say it, but it's, it's important that I I, I mention that because that is the mentality a lot of these people have. And that's just so interesting that it's like, it's such a human thing, right, to feel like I'm having a hard time. There must be a group of people I can blame for this. Right. Exactly. It's so sad and disgusting that we do this as humans. Exactly. And it gets it gets interesting because like affluent whites in particular believe that they were paying taxes in a disproportionate amount given the amount of property they owned relative to the city's black residents. 
you know, who now held the political power to prevent affluence white from changing this ratio. Mm -hmm. And so, and also, conversely, on top of this, there was tension with poor, unskilled white workers who competed with, you know, black folks in the job market and found their services in less demand uh, than skilled black labor. Right. So, essentially, black people were just caught in between of not meeting the expectations of affluent whites and exceeding the expectations of poor whites. You know, paradoxically, they were progressing either too fast or too slow at the same time. In a country that didn't want them to progress at all. Right, exactly. That's so interesting. And, you know, just between us, like Stephanie and dear listeners, I just find this <laughs> a tad bit unreasonable. Yeah. Just a little bit, though. Just between us, though, you Just guys. between us, This yeah. is unreasonable. Yeah, just a little unreasonable. So, for the election of 1898, the Democratic State Party Chairman, Fernfold Simmons... <laughs> Also, what a name. If he wasn't such an ass, like, <laughs> that would be a great name. Fernfold? Fernifold. Fernifold? I've never heard I've that. I've never heard that name. But he was tasked with developing a strategy for the Democrats' 1898 campaign. Okay. His conclusion was to make it just all about race. Yeah. Black folks were essentially ruining everything and that white supremacy was the way to go. And no, I am not kidding, unfortunately. Yeah. That was literally the strategy. His verbiage was far more vulgar, but I'm just not going to repeat that filth. Part of the strategy was the formation of, and again, white supremacy clubs. Or, you know, officially known as the White Government Union. Damn. Yeah, this is not... And, you this know, is not going to go well. It's not going to go well. <laughs> I have a for, really bad feeling. It's not going to go well. <laughs> Um, they started to form a coalition around, you know, poor white laborers trying to get into, like, break that, the fusionist hold in politics. Um, and not only that, they're creating a coalition with those poor white laborers and on the flip side, corporations under the guise of like, hey, corporations, like you, you now have a permanent labor bureau for the purpose of procuring white labor. Oh my God. And then white people, it's like, oh, you no longer have to come compete with you know quote unquote compete with black folks wow how insidious it's very insidious it's very disgusting just for your own personal gain just for your party to be in power exactly it's so stupid so these clubs mission like was just pretty simple um to garner as much hatred towards black folks and their white partners slash supporters as possible to elect democrats and take back political power Nice. Nice, right? That's a really nice mission, guys. Yeah. Oh, so my God. Now we're going to enter... And I'm so sorry. I no. just need to, like, pause and be like, this was just so open, too. Like, you said, oh, these absolutely. were, like, open missions. This was, like, this was, a well, like, overtly stated. It wasn't some sort of backroom dealing. No, yeah. this, they were like, this is what we want to do. <laughs> like, it's important to, like, note that. Like, this was very clear, like, not backroom. This was just like, yeah, this, we're Out in the open. totally on board with this. Like, thumbs up. Yeah. So, we're going to enter a, a, a man by the name of Alexander Manley, a partly black newspaper owner. And that'll come into play in a second here. So he's well-meaning, but unfortunately, he inadvertently causes a shitstorm. Oh, no. Yeah. His newspaper was called The Daily Record and employed both black and white folks. You know, and again, like, it's unfortunate, but he kind of kick-started, like, the, what would be this insanely racist fervor that would be to come. I'm sorry, when you said Alexander Manley, 
was a partly was he partly black? Yeah, he's partly black. Oh, okay. so he, that's he such employed an interesting wording that you chose. Oh yeah, like he's mixed. Yeah, he's mixed. Okay. Yeah. It, it, I guess like when I was I was, I was taking like, is notes. The newspaper partly. Black? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of funny because maybe when I was just I was kind of on a rampage <laughs> when I was writing these notes. Maybe I kind of like I you know didn't word that correctly. But yeah, so he is mixed. Okay. And he his his paper. newspaper is biracial. Like, okay. You know, employs the staff. Both. Uh-huh. Exactly. Okay, that makes sense. So, um, so in response to allegations that black men are predators and rape white women, he essentially put in his newspaper that white women sometimes willingly slept with black men, right? Mm-hmm. To, in today's day and age, that's not a provocative statement even in the least, mm-hmm. right? It's pretty benign, if anything. But in 1898, absolutely not. Right, I mean... Especially in the South, like I see what well, you're saying. This is this is a heavy one. That's a heavy one. This is a heavy episode because I mean, even just that really awful, disgusting narrative trope. Yeah, I mean, you saw it a hundred years later in yeah. like with like what Hillary Clinton in the '90s calling black men like super predators. Yeah, like a hundred years it has later, stayed present. Yeah. yeah, to this day. So this is like, damn, this is some deep stuff. Yeah, so this just created so you he's, know, a he's, shit storm. He's trying to dispel right. this really awful narrative, and it does not go well. It backfires, unfortunately. <laughs> like, again, he's well-meaning. It's just, like, it completely backfires, and it's it's a shit storm after this. Yeah. Um, a man by the name of Josephus Daniels. Great name, terrible person. That's a theme this episode. I know, Josephus. Uh-huh. Also, that was a... Funny enough, I mentioned Romans earlier. That's a Roman name, ironically. Um, I was actually, ironically, he was the first Josephus that I know of was a Roman Jewish person. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so, but anyways, back to the story. He, This Josephus was the owner of the Raleigh News and Observer, and in conjunction with the Democratic Party, he perpetuated a white supremacy campaign. Jesus, Moses. Yeah, well, apparently not. Yeah. So they openly admitted that uh, their goal was to eliminate forever, either by ballot or by bullet, voting and office holding by black folks. Wow. Yeah, openly. uh, Openly admitted. That's the key phrase. It's not like, again, it's not some backroom dealing here. This is just open, like literally pen to paper. Mm -hmm. They're saying this in their newspaper. You know, and Daniels just went on this propaganda like spree and just spewed absolute vitriol mm-hmm. i mean he even got a prominent women's suffrage leader rebecca ann felton to openly call for lynching of black men yeah that was a from what i've learned later in life not through normal schooling here in the u.s but primarily actually in my master's degree was mm-hmm. how much the white-led women's suffrage movement was very anti-black insanely um and how problematic their approaches were this is a really great illustration of that yeah and i mean if i'm if i recall correctly she's still honored somewhere in the senate to this day mm-hmm. um and again like i'll it'll make sense in us and later on at the end of this episode as to why that is but i'll i'll get to that when i get to that so this really this whole this this shit storm that's happening again mm-hmm. excuse my french but that's really what it is it really starts to incite a des- domestic terrorism campaign led by the red shirts. The red shirts. The red shirts Fuck. are coming back. It's basically like the offshoot of the KKK. And things really start to get ugly on uh, November 1st, 1898, when a thousand men, mostly red shirts, 
rode through the predominantly black neighborhoods in Wilmington to intimidate anyone who did not support the white supremacist agenda. Again, they targeted mostly black folks, but also like the white Republican fusionist uh, sympathizers. Um, it didn't stop there. So we're kind of getting to the meat of like the the apex of our story. The coup? The coup. On election day, this isn't quite the coup, but it's close. On election day, November 8th, 1898, Alfred M. Waddle, he was a former congressman and Confederate general, provided marching orders for the more than a thousand men gathered. He said, and I quote, You are the sons of noble ancestry. Oh, no. Yeah. You are Anglo-Saxons. You are armed and prepared, and you will do your duty. Go to the polls tomorrow, and if you find the N-word out voting, tell him to leave the polls. If he refuses, kill him. Shoot him down in his tracks. Mm. End quote. Wow. Yeah, so he's a peach. Um, on election day, some black and white Republicans braved the polls, but many more stayed away. Enough that the Democrats retook the North Carolina legislature, recaptured county governments, and monopolized the state's congressional delegation. Just to make sure the count went their way, red shirts also attacked polls and stuffed ballot boxes. Mm-hmm. You know, in some cases producing democratic margins of victory that exceeded the number of registered voters in the districts in question. Wow. So, you know, definitely you could say this was like a um, a free election. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in Wilmington, the local government was not up for re-election that year. They wouldn't be up for re-election until the following year in March. Of, okay. So March 1899. White supremacists in Wilmington, including Red Shirts, the white government union that I had mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. and a group of leading white businessmen known as the Secret Nine, plotted to overthrow the government. Ugh. <sighs> So one, they made sure that merchants were not selling guns and ammunitions to black people like leading up to this, like in the weeks leading up to this. Mm -hmm. They called up entirely white militia units, most notably the Wilmington Light Infantry, to augment the red shirts. Mm -hmm. And they made sure that a a black militia that was probably their only group that could fight back had that had and they had also served in the Spanish American War was stationed elsewhere in Georgia, you know, especially during this time. So it was pretty insidious. This is terrifying. Yeah, insidious, like, planning that led up to this. So this wasn't just, like, a spur-of-the-moment thing. Right. Like, this was insidious planning. Um, and on November 9th, the day after the election, the Wilmington Messenger published the, quote, White Declaration of Independence, end quote, a list of resolutions promising that whites would never be ruled by, quote, men of African origin, that blacks would no longer be allowed to vote, and that white men would be, again, quote, given a large part of the employment hereto given to N-words, end quote. Mm-hmm. On November 10th, pandemonium ensued. Waddle led some 2,000 white men in an attack on the office of the Daily Record, which was vandalized and razed to the ground. By 11 a.m. that day, violence had begun erupting across the city with red shirts, militiamen, and white vigilantes turning their guns on black folks, but some who, like, the very few that had guns even returned fire. It ended up being futile, but at least, like, there was, mm-hmm. they faced some resistance. Waddle engineered the forced resignation of elected officials during this time and was was sub- subsequently, subsequently. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Sorry, I was like, I saw that, and I was like, your brain, like, couldn't Froze, handle it. yeah. 
It was basically, he was subsequently raised to the office of mayor. Wow. Black Wilmingtonians, especially, you know, women and children, fled, hiding for three days and two nights in the swamps. Oh, my around God. Around the city and the Black Cemetery. Because it was, like, I the mean, end was, of the world. Yeah, I Jesus. mean, it was complete chaos. So on the morning of November 11th, a large contingent of both black and white Republicans were marched to trains and were escorted out of the state. Not only that, they were told that if they were returned, they would be killed. I'm silent because... Silenter than usual, hearing I'm talking. (laughs) Um, Can't help myself. Impulse control. Um, It's, like, not shocking, but it's so... Like you said at the beginning, it's so devastating and such a bummer to hear... And I think what really upsets me is having never heard of this before. Right. I mean, it's insane to me that we had never, like, this was never taught in schools. No. Like, I mean, we brushed past Reconstruction. Uh, yeah, we and, did too. Like, and then, like, also a, this era was really focused on more, like, Gilded Age. Yeah. Like, the rise of corporations and such. Yeah. But doesn't, like, deal with the, the af- like, what that meant. Yes. Especially is- for everyday people. Uh yeah, that's really well said. Oh, it's annoying. So overall, during this time, anywhere between 60 to 300 black folks were killed during this massacre. And that's what it is. It was a massacre. Yeah. It was a coup d'etat, but it was a massacre. Yeah. And this had terrible long-term repercussions, as the men responsible for this were never punished in any sort of way. Mm-hmm. At least 2,000 black people left Wilmington to never return, which made the city predominantly right. Or white, excuse me, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and that shifted the demographic like permanently. Wow. Yeah. I, it's because that's exactly where my brain was going when you mentioned the massacre of all those people. That's that's like a big um, collective trauma for yeah. the community, right? So that's going to impact generations to come. And it looks like it did, like you said, in terms of demographics even. Oh, yeah. And you know the ironic thing about this is that the white laborers now started to complain about the jobs available because they cited that, you know, these jobs were for black people and not white people. I've, Can you believe I that? I effing deal with you right now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I was like, you've got, I was like, you, yeah. there are no words. No, no words. Also, a lot of historians cite this as like a spark that would usher in like the Jim Crow era. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. I was going to ask if that's where this came from. I think so. I think this was, this was bad this was really bad for like a lot of it's that terrible precedent exactly yeah and i'll I'll get into even more but like particularly like you said that no one was ever punished for the massacre of up to 300 people yeah and i'll get to that in a second it gets worse because you know this because of the success of this coup the secret nine um oh i'm sorry i messed up here my notes but basically because of the success of this crew of this coup um, a guy by the name of George Roundtree in the state legislature, um, basically, he w- just kept black people from voting. Mm-hmm. He he just instituted these large, long-term, um, like, programs to keep black folks disenfranchised yeah. and to, like, just keep them from not aligning with Repu- white Republicans, like, politically to ever again. To more divisive, yeah. Yeah, he just, basically, it was just to keep it divisive. Essentially, all of the good reconstruction work that took decades to make was reversed in a matter of months. Wow. And, you know, what happened to all of these people that led the coup? 
unfortunately, like not only were they never punished, a lot of them had left like positive legacies and some are even honored to this day. Yeah. So that is like, and I just literally, my notes put WTF. Mm-hmm. That so, is the heartache of this country. And here's a couple examples. Like as I, I picked a few that I had mentioned specifically in the story. So Josephus Daniels, he was that news and observer, like newspaper guy. Yeah. He was appointed secretary of the Navy by president Woodrow Wilson during world war one. He became a close friend of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who Daniels appointed as assistant secretary of the Navy. Then after Roosevelt became president, he returned the favor by appointing Daniels as ambassador to Mexico between 1933 and 1941. He had a statue that was erected in 1985 of him. It was only finally torn down two years ago. Why would you erect a statue for someone like that? You know, that's a great question I do not have the answer for. And sending a freaking white supremacist as the ambassador to Mexico. My God. Yeah, I know, right? I bet you especially. I was like, when I wrote that, I was like, oh, Steph's going to have some choice words. I just want, I know whoever is listening to this is so upset too, but I just want to reiterate, this is someone who became close friends with FDR. FDR. Like, Like, that is how tolerated to celebrated. Yeah, I was going to say celebrated. This behavior was. Right. This abhorrent behavior. Yeah, I mean, he a secretary of the Navy during World War One by President Woodrow Wilson. And then, this yeah, is, became buddies with another president. This is institutionalized, like, to the perfect definition of it. Institutionalized yeah. racism at every level. Right. So, Rebecca Ann Felton, that lynching proponent Jeez. that I had mentioned, the, the woman's suffrage, she was honored with an appointment to the United States Senate to become the first woman to serve in the Senate, though she only served for one day. Um, still, she became a prominent woman suffragist who championed equal pay for equal work. Oh. Isn't that just ripe? Only if you look like uh, Miss Rebecca Ann Felton, I guess. Yeah. Do you deserve equal pay and equal work? Right. Jeez. I know. And I I, I didn't put this in my notes, but I, I thought I recall reading that she, her, like, uh, some sort of relief of her is still somewhere in the Senate mm-hmm. to this day. Uh, don't quote me on that, but I thought I read that somewhere. So, Alfred Waddle, he remained the mayor of Wilmington until 1905. He got to stay mayor? He got to stay mayor. No. Not only was he, st- did he stay mayor, he was re-elected. Well, I should say he was elected again. He was oh, finally like, no, elected. No. He was finally elected. Thank you. Oh my God. After he, Ill- he, after, yeah, he created the first and only successful coup in American history. And so, it's not like a, a good coup where there was like tyrannical people and he's like, oh, this was like the exact opposite. It was like yeah, you it was had like, like putting in the tyrannical people. Exactly. And no, that, so that, the effects of this coup, I'm so sorry. I know you said this indirectly, but it's yeah. just now hitting me. The effects of this white supremacist coup were never reversed. No. Actively reversed by anyone. No, no. higher power came in and was like, dude, no. you can't do this. I mean, people wrote to um, William McKinley, who was the president, who was the newly, no, he was the president at the time. Yeah. And they were just like. He's like, oh, that's not my problem. Yeah, he's like, he, his reasoning was. <laughs> Like, we can only 
take action if we request or if we get a request by the governor of the state and the governor never did anything probably because the governor was super racist i think he was yeah exactly oh my god so it's just a way to like and also i didn't totally cop right and like the amount of economic power ironically (laughs) that was lost in wilmington was like catastrophic really yeah because you had all these businesses that were shut down and never reopened. Yes. And you'll just like, I mean, it's like, it, it, I can't, I can only, and this is like a much smaller scale, but like yeah. it reminds me of the Nazis in World War II when you had all those like brilliant Jewish scientists that left, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it was just, you had a brain drain and that just was kind of like with this. All of these facets, these like ripple effects, I guess, right. that like. Obviously, there is the direct horror and violence and terror, but then we don't always remember, like, how that impacts science, the economy. Like, exactly. This is. They had no so idea nuts. these disastrous effects would happen, these which is are ironic. Stupid. Yeah, I mean, yeah, of course they are. So, Alfred Waddle, he remained the mayor of Wilmington, right, until oh, yes. 1905. Oh, that's where we went off. <laughs> yeah. He was the keynote speaker at the unveiling of the Confederate monument at the Forsyth County courthouse where he was praised as a quote gallant soldier and he proclaimed that and this is also in quotes i thank god that monuments to the confederate soldiers are rapidly multiplying in the land i rejoice in the fact for many reasons but chiefly because of its significance from one point of view what a loser (laughs) i mean other like other folks that i didn't mention the story so i'm not going to mention by name here they had successful businesses they were prominent they had prominent seats in government and one even ran for president unsurprising yeah unsurprising but still so infuriating right exactly and it just goes to show that some events that aren't highlighted in our history Mm. have shaped it nonetheless so well said and this was like a heavy story weirdos and i do apologize about that but i also thought it was important to tell and like it was like too important not to share nonetheless and because mm-hmm. i mean like i had never heard about this yeah um i hadn't either right i really appreciate our <sighs> listener miss tyler for sharing yeah this story i know with I'm, us. i really do too um and sometimes you know real life doesn't have happy endings and i feel like this is unfortunately one such example i mean just maybe now we're starting to like with that you know tearing down the statue of what was his name um josephus daniels two years ago you said like two years ago maybe Mm -hmm. just now we're finally like people are doing something Mm -hmm. but it's taken this long and that's what happens when we don't know our history right exactly that's why i mean obviously we love also, like, the weird, silly stuff in history. Of course, that's, like, a big part of this podcast. But the mm-hmm. bigger thing is, like, these human stories. These stories are so impactful into the the world we live in today. And it's so nuts to not know them. Right. I'm not speaking articulately because <laughs> it's infuriating to it's me. It's so infuriating. No, I don't blame you. It's really just incredibly maddening like we're living in the effects of this history yeah. how do and how do we not know it i mean we say that all the time like some of the things that have happened you know like like this is over a century ago sometimes thousands of years ago like have shaped like the way we the do shape. things today exactly mm-hmm. like we were just talking about how in romania they have a romance language oh yeah because of a an invasion that happened 1900 years ago by trajan right by trajan yeah the roman uh emperor 
I almost said general. He was <laughs> technically a general, but he was also an emperor. Um, so that, unfortunately, is the story of the Wilmington coup, sometimes also known as the Wilmington Massacre. To be honest, I think massacre is probably a better word because it really was. Yeah. Um, so that is, unfortunately, the story. And again, like I, it feels like there's like a sour taste in my yeah. mouth because there isn't like a happy ending to this. Yeah. There isn't any justice. There's no, there was no justice at the time. Like yeah. zero. There was like anti-justice. Yeah, for Negative generations. Justice. Generations. I mean, to this day even. Oh my gosh. That was, like I said, like I interrupted you in the middle. I'm like, damn, this is a hard one because it's so layered. Right. And again, I feel like we are very intentionally ignorant of a lot of this history. Intentional by like the school systems and things like that. So I can't even speak to the multiple layers of this mm-hmm. in an educated way. But you did such a good job of sharing this story with us. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. No worries. Um, I'm glad, I'm honestly glad to, because this was something that needed to be shared. Yeah. And again, you know, for were- the weirdos that are listening, you know, I, I hope you guys appreciate it as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was the Wilmington the Wilmington coup or the Wilmington massacre of 1898. That's so interesting because we remember we were talking about, um, when we watched the show Lovecraft country. Oh yeah. How it wasn't until very recently that many folks became, or I should say many folks outside of like the black community in the U S became aware of the Tulsa race massacre. And that took so long for people to sort of uncover and yeah. recognize the injustices and this is another one this was i mean like not to downplay the tulsa massacre because that was like terrible but this was this probably had even further reaching consequences and yeah it's just completely buried in history well, like this should absolutely be taught in american history like in school and it's is not clearly not it literally eventually involves like presidential candidates like that's yeah. so nuts i mean the people in this would literally f- like be the highest echelon of governments Ugh. like budding up with presidents like actual presidents and like making, an fdr and woodrow wilson of all like people making policies right you know, and further indoctrinating people that they're leading and oh my yeah, god for like over like i mean some of these policies too would would last for decades right like over half a century yeah well but anyways before i forget the sources yes there's um actually only a few but they were really good the was the encyclopedia britannica it's always amazing they really are they're on top of it they really are the atlantic and then of course our favorite wikipedia Mm -hmm. thank you again andrew for sharing that story Thank you, weirdos, for listening to it and for being here with us. Yeah. Um, As always, please feel free to connect with us over on Instagram at History4Weirdos. That's a nice place to leave us suggestions. If you have a suggestion for an episode like Miss Tyler did for today's episode, that's a great place to keep up with us. Kind of like the Kardashians, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Keeping up with weirdo history. Keeping up with the weirdos to see our comings and goings. Um, And again, I I think I almost always say this, but please, if you think someone would like this podcast, share it. That is the best way for other folks to find the show. If you have not done so already, rate, review, subscribe, all the good things. It helps us grow. And thank you. Thank you, weirdos. Until next time. Until next time.